well, I did say that there may be some tinkering in coming uh, communion-focused services. We might change the way the chairs look. We might move the table. We might have communion a wee bit earlier in the, the service. But it will certainly sit at the center of our reflection and of our time together and bringing the, the table of the Lord into the center of our reflection and our time together brings a cross into the center of our reflection and our time together. We remember the death that Jesus died as we share in the bread, which speaks to us of the broken body of Christ, and as we share in the wine, which speaks to us of the blood that Christ shed for us. And so we focus together as we gather around the table of the Lord on the cross. The cross is central, and that seems incredibly fitting. I remember uh, a few years ago, we had a group of primary school children in the church, and their teacher had printed them a sheet that they were to basically, they were to look for things and tick these things off the sheet. So they found the pews, tick it off. Uh, stained glass windows, tick it off. Pulpit, tick it off. Uh, organ, maybe, can't remember, tick it off. Vicar, they, they, they thought they'd found a vicar as well, so they, they, ticked, they ticked me off. It was obviously an English sheet that the teacher had printed out. And then this wee boy who was slightly ahead of the others ran up to me and he goes, I can't remember if he said Mr. or Minister or Vicar, but he says, where's, where's your cross? I can't see your cross. And I said, uh, and I'm looking about, I'm going, I don't, I don't know that we have a cross in here. I don't think we do. And he looked at me like, aghast, horrified. Like, how can you have a church building that doesn't have a cross in it? He's looking at me like, it doesn't make any sense. And he looks at his teacher and I'm thinking, he thinks his teacher's taking him to like a fake church because there's no, there's no cross in it. But actually, uh, maybe the wee boy did understand something about the nature of Christianity because right at the heart of Christianity sits the cross, doesn't it? It's the symbol that Christians have used to sum up their faith for 2,000 years. Uh, Leon Morris is a New Testament scholar. He's written a lot of commentaries. Very good. Recommend them. Uh, he says, Christianity is a religion about a cross. Martin Luther says, there's not a word of the Bible that can be understood properly without reference to the cross. We just cannot think of Christianity without the cross. That's how central the cross is to our faith and to who we are and to what we believe. There were actually in the early church other symbols competing with the cross to be used by Christians. There was the, the fish, which you still see sometimes in the back of people's cars. So if you write the Greek word for fish, ichthys, it can be an acronym for uh, the Greek words for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So that was used at times. Uh, sometimes you would have a Christian who was in the presence of another person that they thought might be a Christian and they'd do the outline of the fish. And if the other person was a Christian, they would write ichthys in the middle of the, middle of the fish. It's very clever. There was the dove a kind of symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the world through the church. That was uh, widely used for quite a long time. 
There was the shepherd with the lamb over his arms, again, used for a long time. Uh, but the one which, which has stood the real test of time is the cross. And that might seem a bit strange at first because we need to remind ourselves that the cross is an instrument of torture. We probably don't really see it like that when we see it around people's necks nowadays. But it's an instrument of torture and of, of, of death. The cross is a place of pain. That's where we get the word excruciating. Ex is out of the cross. Excruciating pain, unimaginable agony. People would do whatever they could to, to quicken their death as they, as they hung on the cross. Excruciating pain, but also excruciating shame. Just the physical exertion and agony of the cross meant that, that, that people's bowels often loosened, and this was a source of uh, mockery for those who watched people being crucified. Uh, they, they, they hung there naked, no wee cloth around them anywhere, completely naked. To the Romans, the cross was reserved for the lowest of the low. So if you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be crucified, no matter what your crime. It was seen as beneath you. And if you weren't a Roman citizen, you wouldn't be crucified unless it was really, really bad. So it was a shameful thing for Rome, and it was also a shameful thing for the Jews. One of the few things that the Romans and the Jews agreed with, that this was a, a, a source, a place of great shame. So for the Jews, they saw those who were crucified as being cursed by God. So there is the pain and there is the shame, and yet we as Christians delight to take this cross and to hold it up to the world and to say, this is what we're about. Why would we use the cross as our symbol? Well, firstly, I think because it speaks to us of love. As we read through the, the accounts in Scripture, it doesn't look very loving as we hear the Jews crying out for Christ to be crucified. As we see the Roman soldiers mock Jesus relentlessly with the crown of thorns, the king of the Jews message, and rolling the dice to, to, to get his clothes, all these, these ways of, of, of mocking this man who was about to die this horrendous death, not a very loving sight, and yet we do see love as we look to the cross. We see love in the giving of God, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. We see love in the giving of God. And we see love in the laying down of the Lord. So Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is love, says John. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. So at the cross we see love, at the cross we see victory, it looks like a place of defeat, and yet Jesus defeats death by his death on the cross. This is the scene that God has chosen in his infinite wisdom for the greatest victory the world has ever seen. Turns it on its head, and he uses this place of pain and shame to bring forth victory, to make Christ triumph over sin and Satan and death. And so as Jesus cries out, it is finished, that is a a victory cry, not a cry of exasperation and defeat, but a cry of uh, completion and victory and triumph. Jesus defeats sin and Satan decisively. It is finished, he cries on the cross. Job done, victory won. Paul says, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It may have looked like defeat to many who watched it, but the eyes of faith show us that this was the scene of the greatest victory the world has ever seen. It looked like defeat, but it was victory. It looked like the end, but we know that it was only the beginning, which leads to our final point for reflection. Love, victory, and life Again, the last thing that you would expect to see on a cross, it is an implement designed for death. And yet by his death, he opens the door to life. Not an empty life. For you know, says Peter, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. The empty way of life is replaced by what Jesus calls life in all of its fullness. And not only that, but life eternal. Death is just the doorway to everlasting, ever-living life in the presence of of our Lord. Jesus says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So we remember and we rejoice in the love of God, in the victory of God, and in the life which is ours in Christ, as we remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord together. I'm going to read from Isaiah, uh, a few verses from chapter 53, then a few verses from chapter 55. You might want to just close our eyes as we listen to these words. And then we'll remain seated to sing, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. And having sung that hymn, the stewards will come forward and uh, we'll prepare the table for us to share in together. So Isaiah 53 He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, 
and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Amen.